You got a Bible this morning, if you'll open it up to Mark chapter 12. I said something to you a while ago about passion. How many had a good Valentine's Day with their loved one? Uh, how, how, how many remember, the, how many had a, raise your hand if you had a good Valentine's Day with your loved one? 
last night. I didn't get to get Mary anything, and she had fell asleep when we came back from our motorcycle ride, so I jumped in the car and uh, ran down to the store to get her something for Valentine's Day, and I didn't carry my phone. I guess they thought I just ran away from home. She sent kids looking for me and everything else. They was all running around town trying to find Daddy. Daddy was over there getting some roses and some cupcakes. My wife likes cupcakes. I had to make sure I got her those cupcakes because I know that she likes those, and I love her, and we had a good Valentine's yesterday. I'm passionate about my love for my wife. You ought to be passionate about your love for your wife and your children and your family. You ought to, you ought to say no devil in hell is going to take them. That's the kind of passion you ought to have for your family, for your wife, for your children. Passion. There's some people you can't tell if they're passionate about a doggone thing. There is. There's people out there you can't tell if they're passionate about anything. They sit there with their hands folded, their arms closed, their mouth shut. I'm not built that way. You are built to be passionate. You are built to be passionate. Every one of us are built to be passionate. God created us to, to, to have passion, that emotion that drives us, that makes us get up in the morning, go out to work. You need to find what you're passionate about and get to it. Time is short. Time is short. And people lay down and they die and nobody knows anything about them. Not this guy. I want people to know when I'm dead, I love my family, I love my Lord, I love my church, I love my God with all my heart. I'm passionate about it, too. If you don't believe I'm passionate about my Lord and Savior, just call my phone. I won't answer. I got probably one of the craziest voicemails you've ever heard in your life. This is Pastor Mark. Good to see you. How you doing? God loves you. What you want? Come see me Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Oh, man, I'm excited about Jesus. I'm excited about you. People call me sometimes. They say, don't pick up. I just want to hear your voicemail. Because I'm passionate. You ought to be passionate about something. The creative force beside, but behind every great piece of art, every great piece of music, every great writing is passion. Nothing great is ever accomplished in life without passion. Passion makes the impossible possible. Mike, can you turn me up just a little bit because I don't think they can hear me this morning. I said passion makes the impossible possible. Passion gives you a reason to get up in the morning and get going. Listen to me, all you late sleepers. God did not call us to sleep till noon. God said, get up, do something with yourself. Get up, do something for me. Get up, be passionate. Passionate. God gave us homes. They're supposed to be clean. Get up, clean your house. God gave us children. We're supposed to get out of bed, make sure they get off to school, make sure they got food, make sure they got what they need. You shouldn't lay down and let somebody else do that for you. You know, when I was in school, my mom and dad never got out of bed to see if we made it to the bus. We never got lunch money. They didn't care if we even come off the bus. I make sure my kids are taken care of. And my wife makes sure my kids are taken care of. Without passion, can I say this to you? Without passion, life becomes boring. It becomes boring. You can be married for 25 years and still have no passion in your marriage. You can be married for 50 years and lose your passion. Or you can be married for 50 years and be the most loving, passionate person, couple I've ever seen in my life. One day a man walks up to Jesus and says, Lord, what's the most important thing in the Bible? And you know what the Lord said? It's found right here in Mark 12, verse 29. 
the most important thing, Lord? What's the most important thing, Lord? He says right here in Mark 12, verse 29, Jesus replies, The most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. Come on, somebody. Don't keep reading. That's where you need to stop. You can't love the second part of that script until you love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. What God is saying, church family, is this. Put some strength in it. Put some muscle in your love. Put some muscle, some strength. Show me, God says, that you love me. I love that. It says, the Lord God is the only Lord, and you must love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Nothing matters more than that. God is saying, I want you to put some muscle in it. I want you to put some energy behind it. Put some emotion in your relationship with me. Don't you be a wimp about your relationship with me. Touch somebody and say, don't you be a wimp. If somebody's talking and disturbing you, say, don't talk, don't disturb me, because I'm not going to be a wimp when I leave up out this place this morning. Don't be a wimp about your service. God says, put some heart in it. Put some emotion. Put some backbone in it. God is saying, I want you to put some muscle in it, some energy, some emotion. Don't be a wimp about your relationship with me. I want you to love me passionately. Here's the amazing thing. In America, we can love anything else passionately, and it's okay. In America, we can love our Houston Texans passionately, and that's okay. We can love our Dallas Cowboys passionately. That's okay. We can love our favorite television show, uh, Big Brother, passionately. We can love all, all the great music passionately. But when it comes to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they don't want you to love him passionately. If you start loving the Lord passionately, they'll think you're a Fruit Loop. They'll think you belong to some cult. When they were talking about that the other day, about, about love and the hippie movement and the, and, and, and the peace, love, and joy, when they were talking about that, I remember the first time this lady was coming to my church. She was here every time the doors opened. She lived right over there off Houston Road. Her husband said, that is no church, that's a cult. Call me what you want to. I'm just passionate about the Lord. Yeah. Call me what you want to, but I'm just passionate about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's an amazing thing in America. You can be passionate about anything. You can be passionate about anything. But God, no, -uh, don't be passionate about God. In our culture, it's okay to be passionate about anything but religion. Anything. You can go to a rock concert. You can stand up. You can throw your hands in the air wave like you just don't care. And nobody thinks you're a fool. But if you go to church and you raise your hand, there are people that say, oh, he's fake. He's phony. He's pretending. No, listen to me. I read one time. I heard one time. If you realize what my God done for me, you'll know why I raised my hand in honor of what he's done for me. Passionate, passionate about your relationship with the Lord. Not worried about what anybody else says, what anybody else thinks. It don't matter. Where's your love for God? Where's your love for the same God who died on the cross for you? Who bled, who died, who suffered for my sins and your sins? God is calling you and I to be passionate. To be on fire for him, to love him. 
I can go to a rock concert. I can go to a political rally. I can go to a baseball game. I can shout my head off. I can get excited. But I better not get excited about my Jesus. But the Bible says in Romans 12, 1, never be lacking zeal, but keep your spiritual flavor. Keep your fire going for your entire life. So we're looking at things that can kill our passion. How many people know that there are things out there that can kill your passion? That can destroy your passion. That calls you. There's a lot of stuff out there. Why are, the, why are there any empty seats out here? Because something's killed people's passion. Why don't people go to church and stay faithful with God? Because they put other things before God. And it steals their passion. The Bible says there's no greater commandment. Say this with me. Than to love your God with all your heart. Mind, body, and soul. Man, that takes every effort of you to love him. And there are things out there that want to rob us of our passion, that want to steal our passion. And I'm excited that you're here this day because I want you to understand that there are, are things out there. And there are some people that I'm going to point at today because I know you and I know your walk. And you're allowing some of these things to kill your passion for Christ. So if I point you out today and it offends you, I hope you come back. I hope you come back. But as your pastor, I feel entitled to say to you, there's things standing between you and all the blessings of heaven that God has for you. And if I can't point them out to you, then I'm not your friend. If I can't say to you, hey, this is killing your passion. This is killing all that God has for you. If I can't say that to you, you don't need me to be your pastor. You need to go to one of them watered-down churches. You need to go to one of them churches, them big mega churches where nobody knows you. I know you. I know you. You know me. If I'm standing here and saying I'm passionate about God, I'm not telling you the truth, then get rid of me. How many knows I'm passionate about God? I'm passionate about God. If you don't believe that, then get rid of me. Then get rid of me. But if I can't call you today and say, look, Sean, look, 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 John, look, Jim, look, Stephanie, look, 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 Carmen. Man, we can't let anything cause us to lose our passion for Christ. Because that's the greatest commandment. And if you break that one, you might as well not even keep the rest of them. Hmm. There's anarchy up in here this morning. Here's some passion killers I want to talk to you. An unbalanced schedule. How many people know it's right to get a schedule with your life? There are, some of you have an unbalanced schedule. What are you talking about, Bad and Bark? That means either you're overworked or you're underworked. You're going to lose your passion for your life and lose your passion for God if you're overworked. Let me say to this to some of you who are working all the time. All the time, 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 all the time. You got to stop because you're going to lose your passion for the Lord. You got to say, man, I can't come to work. I got to get out of here at five o'clock because church on Wednesday starts at seven. Well, we're not finished with this project. I'll finish it in the morning. But right now I got to put my Lord and Savior first. God wants us to work. He wants us to work hard. He wants us to work diligently. And there are those times we can't make church because of work. God understands. But there are some of you that are doing it to yourself. And you know who you are. I'm not going to point you out. Like I said, maybe I will. I don't know. But you know who you are. 
You're so busy climbing this ladder of success. But what makes you successful in the eyes of God is keeping him first and your passion for him first. What makes you successful in the eyes of your family is keeping him first and that passion alive. Listen to me. You're going to lose so much respect climbing that ladder unless you get balance. Balance. And then on the other hand, some people work so hard and there's others that never work. They never work. They've learned to beg. They've learned to beg. They've learned to beg. They've learned to beg. There's no balance in begging. Can I say that to you today? There's no balance in begging. You, you, you're laying there. You're doing nothing with your life. And you can't find passion for God because you haven't found passion for your purpose. Is this English? This is easy to understand but hard to swallow. If you got to get up, I, I always say this to you, even if you don't feel good, you still got to get up. Oh, come on, somebody. You got to work. You got to find a purpose. You say, Brother Mario, I'm not capable of doing much. You're capable of doing something. Because if you're under work, you'll folk, watch this. Come on, somebody, watch. Anybody ever see somebody out of a job? Idle mind is a dangerous place. Not working is a dangerous place. Spending all your time on the internet. Spending all your time looking at this. Spending all your time. Look at me. Come on, somebody. This is dangerous. But if you work and you're diligently in your work and you get a balance and you say, you know what? It feels good to get up and do something. And you'll start to find your passion for God. So an unbalanced schedule, and I could go on for days. How come I don't feel close to God as I used to be? Because you're out of balance. And that can be a passion killer. Another thing that can be a passion killer is an unused talent. An unused talent will cause you to lose your passion for the Lord, your passion for God. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. So use your gifts well. Touch somebody and say, use your gifts well. See that water, Mary? Use your gifts well. Notice God gives us certain talents and abilities. One thing I'm proud of, I thought you were baptizing me. <laughs> One thing I'm proud of is I know my gifts. I know where they're weak and I know where they're strong. I'm serious. All of us are gifted in talent. The smart ones use their gifts well for the Lord. They, 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 like Lynn said the other day, you know what you got a gift and you're not using it and you're afraid you're going to step on somebody else's toes? No, go to that person and say, I can do that too. I'm capable of doing that too. A lot of people, like me and Mary was talking about this, we have been truly blessed with a lot of men on our Holy Hammers ministry who are capable of building projects and we call them and God has got some really good people that are very passionate about that so they come and they serve and they don't wait, they just get after it but there are those who used to be on that ministry, they're not as passionate anymore, they sit back and say, well I'll just let them do it, if I go they don't need me anyway. Hey, they may not need you but God needs you to be passionate there's always a doorknob that needs to be fixed on God's house there's always a light bulb that needs to be changed anybody can talk about changing the filters why don't one of you change the filters instead of talk about it God is looking for you to become passionate with your gifts and talent thank God thank God I don't know how to play the piano but Miss D does it's not working for me 
It don't work for me, so I don't try. I find somebody that can. God don't call the equipped. He equips the ones he calls. Maybe you can't sing, but you can do something else. Maybe you don't have the gift to teach, but you can do something else. Maybe you don't have certain gifts that somebody else has. That don't make you no worse than them or an underdog or you're not capable. Man, God is calling you to use your gifts. Oh, y'all didn't hear me this morning. Peter says this. Each of you has been blessed with a gift of God. You have wonderful gifts. Gifts to use and serve one another. God gives us all certain talents, certain abilities, Certain personalities. You know why you see the same ones at the door doing the same meet and greeting every week? Because they've learned to smile. They've learned to share the love of Christ. They've learned to have a welcoming spirit for a, for a, for a, a weary traveler out on life road. We painted that church a couple of weeks ago over there at Pastor Lambert's church. And we had looked at it and we had thought about it. And we were going to just paint the, the church building white and the trim red and leave the door white. But uh, Nolan and them had already taped off the door. And they were fixing to paint it red. And I said, hey, man, we was going to keep that white. We weren't going to paint it red. And Brother Nolan says, well, I think it'll look better red. Well, I wasn't going to fight about it. We're already late in the day and I just want to get done. So I said, well, go ahead and paint me. And Vic was sitting back looking at it and say, ah, we don't know. Well, it looked good when he got it painted and the trim matched and it was perfect. It contrasted the white. So what God was telling him was something different. I wasn't, I wasn't feeling it at the time, but overall, it looked great. Next day, Pastor Lambert called me and he said, Brother Mark, you know what? I said, what? He said, I love that red door. He said this, he said, you know what a red door means? I said, no, I don't know what a red door means. He said, when you get time, go look it up. I said, okay. So, man, I immediately when I hung up with him, I Googled red door. You know what a red door means? A place for a weary traveler to find food and shelter. Back in the Western days, in the Pilgrim days, when people were traveling, people would paint their doorposts red that says, this is a friendly place. Come on in. See, I didn't know that. But I'm so glad we painted it red because God knew. God knew. God knows you got a gift. God knows you got a talent. God wants to know if you're going to use it. I think another thing that kills our sin, I mean, kills our passion is an unclean spirit, unconfessed sins. This is a big one, folks. Few things rob us of our joy, rob us of our confidence, rob us of our passion more quickly than guilt here's how it works with us we get guilty the sins in our life the holy spirit brings it up i have sin in my life i'm a guilty person here's the truth about us being human we cannot feel enthusiastic because we're feeling guilty all the time so if you got sin in your life it's a passion killer it is it is if you're sneaking out of church today and you're going to go get high if you're sneaking out of church and you're going to go do something that you're not supposed to, it's a passion killer. Because you'll feel guilty the rest of the day. You'll feel guilty. You'll feel horrible. I had a guy living here and working here, and he was, he, he, was, he was clean. He was sober at a point in his life. He was on fire for God. 
He loved Jesus with all of his heart. He, he, was, he was on fire for God. And all of a sudden, watch this. All of a sudden, his attitude began to change. His heart began to change. His tolerance began to change. Of the work and the ministry and, and of me and of other people, he just was short-tempered, quick-tempered. I said, something's changing. He was letting sin into his life. He was secretly taking alcohol and going over to his little trailer and he was drinking and drinking and drinking. And man, he was a great cover-up artist because I'm going to tell you something. It takes a lot to pull the wall over this guy's eyes because I've seen a lot of stuff and been through a lot of stuff. But he was good at pulling the wool over a lot of people's eyes. He's been doing it for years. He was a master manipulator. You know they're out there, huh? Huh? Anybody with me? They're out there. And I said, something's changed. I said, I wonder if he's drinking again. I just, I just wonder if he's drinking again. So I approached my other guy, and I said, hey, man, you, I ain't seen him do anything. But the Holy Spirit just kept dwelling on me and dwelling on me. So when he wasn't looking, I looked in his truck, and I saw alcohol, and I saw it behind his seat. And, man, it just troubled me. We were out with friends that night, and my phone rang. And someone said, hey, Brother Mark, I, I, I should have told you this before, but old boy has been drinking again. I just think you need to know. I said, thank you so much. I finished my fajitas. You asked my wife. I drove over here as fast as we could. Why? Because I wanted to confront him about his sin. Why? Because I'm in charge of God's property. And I'm, I wouldn't let anybody hurt you. I'd hate for somebody to be driving around drunk out here and run over one of these babies. I'd hate for one of these people to be drunk running around here and run into our church building, our sanctuary. I'd hate for something to happen. Come on, somebody. Anybody with me? That's not judging. An ignorant person thinks that's judging. No, the Bible says, by your fruits, I'll know you. So I would come over to call him on his sin. And sure enough, he said, yeah, I did it. I, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it again. And you know what? I forgave him. Two days later, he almost killed himself in a car wreck, drinking and driving. You know, it was the guilt because he hadn't confessed his sin. See, we all fall short on a day-to-day -day basis. That's why we got to get right with God on a day-to-day -day basis. We, like Brother Doug said, we, we, we might lose our testimony. We might lose our, we might lose our testimony, but we can get it back. You ain't got to be the same person you were five minutes ago. You can confess that sin so it don't kill your passion. I think another thing that kills people's passion faster than anything else is an unsupportive lifestyle. Say that with me. An unsupportive lifestyle. What are you saying, Brother Mark? You need support? You betcha. You need to be in church. You need to be around believers. You need to be around people that believe like you do. An unsupportive lifestyle will kill your passion. Ask anybody got out of church for a little bit. Life begins to beat you and tatter you and, and, and stomp on you and destroy you. And the only peace you get is when you go to church. But sometimes it happens so fast, so frequent, that you just say, I'm not even going to try anymore. And then the devil says, I got them. I got them. I got them. They hadn't been. Ha, ah, Pastor Mark. They hadn't been. Ah. And I'll pray for you. I hadn't seen you in a Sunday. I'll call you. I, I'll check with you. I'll tell you I miss you and I'll pray for you. 
and I'll pray for you and I'll pray for you. But the only person that can get you to a place, somebody uh, to a supported lifestyle, a lifestyle of leader is you. You got to get up and go to church. You got to get up and go to church. You got to get up and sing your songs and praise and read your Bible. I can't read your Bible for you. You'd be mad at me because I don't read very well. I can't sing your praise hymns because I don't sing that well. You've got to do it for you. Well, you talk about passion killers. Those are some things that will, uh, uh, unclear purpose is another one that will kill your passion. we got to find passion. Passion brings perfect. Passion is waking up in the morning, wherever you are, bouncing out of bed because you know there's something out there that you love to do, that you believe in, that God made just for you. You're good at it. Something that is bigger than you are, and you can't hardly wait to get at it again. It's something that you'd rather do than anything else in the world. You wouldn't give it up for all the money in the world because it means more to you than money. Passion. God says he wants his people to love him passionately. Do you love God passionately? That's my question for you this morning. You've heard about some passion killers, but I'm going to ask you. Now, I don't want you to fall asleep on this because i still got 20 minutes of preaching left. So get up in your spirit right now. Touch three people and say, wake up, homie. I think, listen, listen, look at me, look at me, look at me. I think the starting point to finding passion in your life is realizing how much God loves you. When you begin to realize how much God loves you, you'll love him more. I think so. I want you to get this. Somebody get this. The, spark, the starting point to passion in your life is to remember how God feels about you. You know it, but you forgot it. That's why we have a love revival. Because I want you to know how much God loves you. That's the only reason. It ain't for my glory. It ain't to fill this place up and try to get more people to come to church. It ain't about the money. It ain't about hearing some fancy preacher or some fancy singer. It's not about that. It's for you to realize how much God loves you. How much God loves you. You. Would you believe that with me today that God loves you? Or, or, or you're missing it this morning. Believe that with me. I want you to listen to me. The starting point is to remember how God feels about you. You know it, but you forgot it. Did you know that God is hopelessly in love with you? <laughs> hopelessly in love with you. I'm hopelessly in love with him. God is hopelessly in love with us. God is hopelessly in love with us. That sounds good. The reason that you're not passionate about God is you've forgotten how passionate it is he is about you. Exodus 31, 14 says this, You must worship only the Lord, for he is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. Did you know that, that God is passionate about his relationship with you? Did you know that God is passionate about you, Miss Rachel? God is passionate about you. 
Jason, God is passionate about you. He is passionate about you, Raper. You got that flat top going on this morning. I see you, cowboy. God is passionate about you. God looks down and goes, oh, <laughs> there they are. That's my children. God looks down and says, there she goes. That's my girl. Who believes that God looks down and says, there they go? There goes Mike. I know sometimes God looks down and says, there's my son, Mark Grimes. And he shakes his head. There he goes. There he goes. With a smile on his face. There he goes. God smiles every time he looks at you. Well, that's a warm feeling. God smiles every time he looks at his children. He's passionate about you. He loves you. How do I know that, Pastor Mark? Can I convince you just one second? Give me five minutes to convince you how passionate he is about you. He made you to love you. You were created as an object of his love. The more you understand how God is passionate about you, the more passionate you're going to be about God. When you forget how much God loves you, you start blowing him off. And some of you have learned to blow him off. And we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. Because he created us in his image. He loved us and he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for us. So we blow him off? We shouldn't blow him off. There should not be a single person on this earth that blows off him because he is the creator of the universe and he loves us passionately. When you forget how much God loves you, you start blowing him off. Forget it. I've got other things to do. I got to go to that football game. I got to go to that soccer game. I got to go over here and I can't make it. I'm, I'm tired. People that do that, they forget how much God loves them. How do we know that God is passionate about us? I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it one time. The proof is in the cross. How do we know that God loves us? The proof is in the cross. Jesus stretched out his hands and they nailed him to the cross. And what he was saying is this. You write this down if you're taking notes. I'd rather die than live without you. The cross is the proof. Jesus stretched out his arms and said, I would rather die than live without you. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he knew that he had to die because he loved us so much that he sent his one and only son. He knew that he had to die. Jesus didn't have to if he didn't want to, but he said on the cross, the cross is the proof. I made you. I love you. I'd rather die than live without you. Watch Revelation, watch Revelation, watch Revelation, watch Revelation. Watch, watch. The proof is in his passion of the suffering on the cross. The passion that Christ, the love that, had, that Christ has for you and for me, and the passion is found in the suffering on the cross. It's found in his suffering. He suffered on that cross for me and for you because he loved us. Does anybody understand that this morning? That he suffered. 
passionately, passionately. They whooped him. They beat him. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. Hey, let me say this to you this morning. Uh, anybody got a, a bandana on them? Anybody got a bandana on them? Anybody? Anybody? Let me see that red thing you got right there. Hey, boy, come here. Let me see that red thing. What is right there? Let me see it. Yeah, bring it here. I don't care who it belongs to. Come on. Can I have it? Thank you. Might as well have you, too. Come here. Come on up here with me. I'm going to show you how passionate. Real quiet. Can you see anything? You stand right here. Just imagine standing right there. Don't move. Can you see anything? Don't touch it. Put your hands down. Can you see? You're trying to look. <laughs> in the suffering. In the suffering. When they came in and they took our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when Judas kissed him on the cheek and the scourge grabbed him and they took him away. And he went through six trials that night. He didn't have any sleep. And he didn't have any sleep. He stayed awake all night while, while they persecuted him. While they lied about him. While they, while they brought up all these crump charges on him. And, and, and finally he didn't say nothing. Oh I love my Lord and Savior. He knew what he had to go through. And when they whisked him away they blindfolded him. He didn't know where he was going, but he knew where he was going. He didn't know where they were taking him, but he knew where they were taking him. They blindfolded him, sacrifice. Even before Jesus Christ went to the cross, he suffered emotional pain. Before he went to the cross, they took him through six trials. Three were Jewish, three were Roman. They kept him up all night, which meant he did six trials through the night, didn't have any sleep. Then the Bible says that they gave him over to the Roman soldiers to make fun of him. So the Roman soldiers blindfolded Jesus, and they began to beat him. Passion. The suffering was the passion. The suffering was the passion. He didn't know who was hitting him. He didn't know where it was coming from. But he took it. Passion. Passion. Man, do you love him passionately? He was blindfolded. And they were beating him all over his body. He went an entire night without sleep. So the Roman soldiers blindfolded Jesus and they began to beat him and beat him and beat him and beat him. They used him as a punching bag. Because he said, I'd rather die than live without you. Because he loves you. They'd take sticks and they'd hit him in the head with a stick. And as he was blindfolded, they'd say, who hit me, Jesus? Who hit me, Jesus? Who hit me, Jesus? Who hit me? They were mocking him. They were mocking him. And then, boy, I'm going to tell you, then in there, Jesus, could you have given the name? If you're really who you say you is, stop this. Then it said that the soldiers just decided to mock him and ridicule him. And then they made a crown of thorns. And they took that, corn, that crown of thorns and they placed it on his head. And I'm going to tell you this. Let me tell you passion. Let me say this. They didn't lightly put it on his head. They placed it on his head. And you don't love him passionately? You don't love him enough to bow your head when you eat and give thanks for God for the food that's before you? You don't love
private but not to forgive someone else when passionately the Roman soldier said, wear this crown. And they drove it in his scalp. They pushed it down in his brain. Can you imagine how painful it would have been? They mocked him. Can you imagine how painful it was? They pulled his beard out of his face. Then it says that they went on and they scourged him. I really didn't understand scourging. So I put this together. At the end of each of those nine leather straps, they would tie either a piece of bone to tear the flesh out or lead to a body bruise or they'd tie a piece of, 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 of rock. So every time a person was whipped with a scourge, the cat of nine tails, it would leave nine marks on the person's body. It was such a terrible punishment that men often died because of the loss of blood on their back. And they took Jesus and they stand. There was there was there was there was like you know in your mind picture what it looks like. Nine straps coming down with rocks and glass and a bone on it and then say, "You ready for this, Jesus?" If that's not passionate love, I don't know what is. And we ride around with Jesus bumper stickers on our car, but we live like we're going to hell. We wear crosses on our neck, but we don't put God first. We pray when we're in a crisis, when we got problems with our hearts or with our liver or, or sick, but we don't come to church and, and, and give any time, talent, or treasure. The Bible says the only sin that really, really is a really bad sin is lukewarmness. Where's your passion? Where's your love? I'm not through with you, young lady, just yet, but she's doing a wonderful job. It was such a terrible punishment that men almost died because of the loss of blood on their back. And it was a Jewish law that said you could never give more than 40 stripes. That would normally kill a person. So there was another law that said that you could never give 40 lashes, but you could stop at 39. Someone says when they were beating Jesus, Brother Vic, that they miscounted a few times for my sins and for your sins. And we don't love him passionately. We don't love him passionately. You can't pray. You can't forgive. You can't turn the other cheek. They miscounted. They miscounted. Think about it. 39 times. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought we were on 34. Let's just start over. His back was one bloody pulp before he went to the cross. Now that's passion. Then they gave him a heavy cross to climb up a mountain with. And as he climbed up that mountain, suffering from the loss of the blood of his back and the lack of sleep, as he was carrying his cross up Calvary's hill, up that mountain. Can I say this to you for some of you who are commercializing your relationship with God? The mountain was steep. It wasn't like I had to climb up a few stairs. The mountain was steep and he carried that cross for my sins and your sins. Passionately. That's passion. 
They gave him a heavy cross to climb up that mountain. And as he climbed up that mountain, suffering loss of blood and lack of sleep, he stumbled and he fell. And they grabbed a man out of the crowd, an African man named Simon. And he was given the privilege to carry the cross of Jesus the rest of the way. Oh, man. I love in a little video I play sometimes how Simon and Jesus make eye contact. He said, I got you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I got you. I got you, Lord. He was given the privilege to carry that cross the rest of the way. They get up to the top of the hill. And as they got Jesus up to the top of the hill, they stretched out his arms and they nailed him to the cross. These weren't little bitty pin nails either. They were long galvanized nails they were matter of fact spikes they put one spike turn around this way hold your hands out put your feet on top of one another put your feet close together together there you go a little bit closer there you go a little pigeon toe dear girl And before it was over, for your kids and my kids, for your grandkids and my kids, my grandkids one day, a long time from now, <laughs> they nailed him to the cross. And at Christmas time, we care more about the presents under the tree than the one who died on the doggone tree. Jesus died on this tree for my sins and for your sins. And we're worried about what we're going to get all the time. Why don't we think about what he gave? Hold your hands just like that. Don't move. This could have been us. This could have been us. It should have been us. And by his grace and by his mercy and by his love and by his passion for us, it ain't us. He took it for us. He was given the privilege to carry that cross all the way to the top of that hill. Then they nailed Jesus to the cross at the top. They would take that cross and they would lift it up and they would set it in a hole in the ground. And of course it would tear against the skin where your arms and your feet were nailed. And if you were held in that position, eventually the muscles around your chest would begin to cave in and your entire body would become paralyzed. Eventually you couldn't breathe in this position, but the muscles would give out. Can I say this to you? They wanted it, Holly, listen. They wanted it to be so painful is why they nailed the feet. Maybe you didn't know that this morning. They nailed one hand, and they nailed one hand. And in the beginning, they would just nail them up there and let them dangle. And then they would collapse. Their body would collapse, and they would choke because they couldn't get no air. And then these mean, mean, mean Roman soldiers said, that's, that's not no pain. Let's go ahead and nail their feet. So when they hang like this, and they're suffocating, and they're suffocating, at least they can raise up for a minute, get some relief, and hold on until the bottom of their feet hurt so bad that they had to release it again. That's passion. The Bible says at any time, the Lord could have called legions of angels to take him off that cross. But he said, I love you, CJ. I love you, Heather. I love you, man from Arkansas. I love you so much, so passionately. I can't imagine my life without you. I can't imagine my life without you. 
I love you so passionately. They'd stand him up. They nailed his feet. When Jesus couldn't breathe anymore, he was about to suffocate. He'd raise up on his on his on that nails that were going through his feet, and he'd get a couple of breaths, and then his feet would hurt so bad. And eventually, Jesus, hanging there on the cross, says, "I love you this much." And the soldiers, when Jesus took his last breath, they took a spear and they jabbed it in his side. You know what the worst sin is for a Christian? The worst. The worst. Say the worst. The worst sin for a Do you know what it is, Danny? You're, you're, you're teaching for me now. You need to know this. The worst sin for a Christian is not adultery. It's not murder. It's not some sort of sexual perversion. Those are all big sins. But God tells us in Revelation 3, He says, the worst sin a person could ever commit is lukewarmness. Lukewarmness. The worst sin, Brother Todd, that any person on this earth could commit is lukewarmness. God says, how dare you? How dare you be lukewarm? Where's your passion? How dare you be lukewarm, God says. I loved you. I loved you this much. I loved you this much. Stay up there. Stay up there. I'm not done with you. Put your arms back up. Shh. And when he was on the cross and when he was dying on the cross, he looked around and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So if you've been lukewarm, you, everyone, I'm pointing at you. If you have been lukewarm, you know who you are. You put other things before God. If you've been lukewarm, God says, how dare you? The worst sin of all for any Christian is lukewarmness. No passion. God is just another thing in my life. I have Facebook. <laughs> I got Snapchat. I got all this. I got my career. I got my hot wife. I got my hot man. I got my children. But God is just another thing in your life. God needs to be the thing in your life. Love revival. Y'all give these two young people a big round of applause. Amen. Touch three people and say, God needs to be the big thing in your life. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. God says, how dare you? I loved you this much. I loved you passionately. I made you. Don't look around today. Uh, listen, we're good, guys. Stay where you are, because I'm, I'm worried about some of you. Stay where you are. Stay where you are. Stay where you are. God says, how dare you? I loved you this much. I loved you passionately. I made you, I created you, I planned you, I purposed you, I saved you, and you have no place for me. Excuse me, God, my favorite TV show's on. 
Excuse me, God. My favorite song is on. God says, I'd rather have you hot or cold. Lukewarmness makes me sick to my stomach. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Please do not look. Because if you're looking around today, I believe you may be lukewarm. Because you're worried about what everybody else is doing. You need to worry about yourself right now. Are you passionate about God? C.S. Lewis said it like this. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. Moderately important. If Jesus is God and He died and loved you that much, you owe Him the rest of your life and every spare minute of it. If He didn't, then get up out of here and go home today. Get up out of here and go home and don't come back. Because I need the room for those who are passionate about Christ. Passionate about the Lord who set them free from alcohol, who set them free from drugs, who put their marriage back together. Come on, somebody, that's you. You're passionate. He got you out of that drug house. He got you out of that crack house. You're not, you're, you're not living that lifestyle no more. You're passionate about Him. Has there ever been a time in your life then when you, you were closer to God than you are right now? Come right now to this altar. Come right now to this altar. By coming, you're saying, Lord, I'm coming. I, I need close to you today. Get up. Don't wait for somebody else. You know who you are. You've lost your passion. you lost your fire. Get up and come. I don't need a song. I'm singing the song I'm singing right now that God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son to die on the cross for you. If you've lost your passion, come right now. Give your heart to God. Get up where you are. Everyone stand with me. I believe it's easier for if we're standing for those who really want to get up and come. Nobody's holding you back this morning. The truth is, you're not as close to God as you used to be, and you've chose it. Come right now. Say, Lord, I'm choosing you over everything else in my life. You can have as much of God as you want this morning. Come to the altar and get it. Come to the altar right now. By coming, you're saying, Lord, I'm, I don't want to be lukewarm anymore. I don't want to be lukewarm anymore. You can be as passionate about God as you want. And if you don't want to be, it's your fault. It's nobody else's fault. Bow your heads. Keep your heads bowed. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. In your heart, just say, thank you for being passionate about me. When I was distracted by other things, let's get this revival moment going. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Say, thank you, God, for loving me when I was passionate about other things. I'm coming to the altar today, Lord, letting you know I'm not going to do that anymore. I was distracted by many things, but Jesus, thank you so much for enduring all that you suffered for me so that I could be forgiven. I've never been loved by anybody as much as you love me, Lord. If you're here today and you feel the love of Christ and you want to come forward and say, Lord, I'm coming. I feel your love this morning. Come down to this altar right now. I wouldn't be alive today, Lord, if it wasn't for you. I should have died with that needle in my arm. I should have died in prison, Lord. 
I should have died overdosing on them pills. If it wasn't for you, Lord, I'd be dead today. I'm coming this morning saying, Lord, you won't find me lukewarm anymore. Lord, you saved my children. You gave me back my children, Lord. I'm coming this morning. Just say thank you, Lord. You won't find me lukewarm. You won't find me lukewarm. Somebody say amen. You won't find me lukewarm. Coming forward today, you're saying, Lord, I know you have the plans for me. Plans to prosper me. Plans to give me a hope and a future. Come this morning and talk your plans over with the Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Come this morning and say, Lord, I want to use my talents for you, Lord. I want to use my gifts, Lord, for you. You gave them to me, Lord. I'm going to use them for your sake. Right there where you are, say, Lord, grow me in every way. Grow me in every way, Lord. Grow me in every way, Lord. Through worship, through fellowship with other believers, Lord. Use my talents for you. Lord, help me to share the good news with everyone I come across. Help me to be passionate about you, Lord. Maybe you're here today and you've never opened up your life for the Lord. Open up your heart right now and receive Him. As I close this service, open up your heart and receive Christ right now. Just say, Dear Lord, come into my life and save me. Today I make you my Lord and Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Come into my life and live. Today I make you my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody give God a praise. Amen. Bless you that came.